Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. by no one's demand but our own and from the home office here in Elizabeth Park in beautiful Nashville, Tennessee. It is the 615 Sessions podcast brought to you as always by A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports Nashville.com. We have a new crew in the house, two people making their 615 Sessions debut. Drake Hills of the Tennessean, my man on the Nashville MLS, Nashville SC beat. Kind enough to give us some of his time. We have much to discuss, my brother. Absolutely. I'm glad to be in the Big Blue House, as we as we should call it, I think, Buck. I yeah. Think that, I think we should start with that, but I appreciate you having me nonetheless. For sure, for sure. And Kyle Christ, at Kyle underscore Christ, who is of, of no particular importance, but happens to know a great deal about sports and will occasionally make an appearance on this podcast, so we figure what better time and place to do so with Kobe Bryant going on the monitor in front of us than to talk about some sports memories with Kyle Christ. That's right. Good to be here, Buck. Oh yeah. So boys, we have to start with Kobe. We're gonna talk about that we're gonna talk about the Titans because Kyle viewed it from a different experience as a Nashville transplant and a suffering Browns fan, but there was a great deal of of excitement that could be had on the home front here in Nashville when the Titans were in the playoffs. And Drake was covering the Titans in the playoffs and claimed their playoff success as his own That's right. until they lost in Kansas City and he put it out there on Twitter. That's right. You, you know, deserve he, great shame for that. I, I guess I do because the anti-Drake curse, you know, is something that it's unprecedented, you know, coming into a new market. Yeah. I've been with the Tennessean for about three and a half months. I uh, got on the Titans beat probably around the Chargers week, I would just say. Um, right when all the good stuff started happening. Right. Bandwagon. Mm-hmm. Indeed. When the LA Chargers came in Nissan Stadium, uh, and it's obviously the Titans got on a roll, and then went up to Baltimore, and the week before that went into New England. Obviously, we know what happened with the Titans on those two games. I was actually covering Nashville SC's home jersey reveal yes. the day before the AFC Championship game. So I was downtown. Wild Horse Saloon. It was somewhat of a party. Uh, in fact, it was a sellout, actually. Um, so a lot of fans trickled in for that. Slept, got up the next day, and it was a tricky start uh, out in Kansas City. But I wasn't there for the for the cold, and I wasn't there for the loss. I was actually at the watch party. Oh, uh, that's so such a cop out, man! It was, was eleven degrees in Kansas was, City, and no, it was it was cold here too. Stop! It was cold here. You've not felt cold until you I felt, felt. I came from Chicago, so oh, I no. don't want to hear anything yeah, about fair, the cold. Yeah. I've been outside. I've been, you know, and no driving. You know, no we're, driving. we're we're talking waiting in five degree weather for the blue line to get to my stop to get home. I don't live that way. Yeah, so uh, it was a bit different. It was very windy and. I guess at the base of downtown, which is where the majority of people were at. Um, so I was there amongst the frozen, uh, watching the Titans lose the AFC Championship game. And Kyle was drunk at Doghouse. 
we were at Doghouse Saloon like usual, and I'll tell you what, I had to wait outside for about a half hour to get in that place. So yeah. That just shows the excitement that we had yeah. about the Titans. There but, were lines. Yeah, there, there were lines for sure. Well, and the Titans are not what we are going to discuss. It's obviously Super Bowl week, but the passing of Kobe Bryant is something that weighs heavy on all of us, and we all have unique experiences, as everybody does, with Kobe Bryant. But first, we're going to hear from NBA uh, NBA player for the better part of a decade, Brandon Wright. Of course, three-time Mr. Basketball here in Tennessee. North Carolina product had uh, a career, most of it in the Western Conference, and a good deal of it against Kobe Bryant. So first, NBA player, Brandon Wright. Back here, 615 Sessions Podcast, A to Z Sports, A to Z Sports, Nashville.com. I hate that the first time that I'm having Brandon Wright on the podcast is because of the circumstances uh, having to do with the tragic loss of life. Kobe Bryant, of course, in the helicopter crash that saw he and eight others lose their life, including Kobe's daughter, Gianna. Brandon, I appreciate you doing this, man, and I hate that this is the way that we got to start doing these things because we got to do it more often. Yeah, man, it's, it's a tough situation, man. And, um, you know, all of us guys are really feeling it. And it's been tough, you know, two, three days for us. And we're still trying to process everything. It's just um, unfortunate. It, it, I mean, he's, he's just gone. It's almost like a, it's just a dream. Like, oh, that didn't really happen. But it, it really did happen, you know. It's crazy because we've been talking about this for, for three days at just constantly at this point. And it feels it still feels like we're just remembering his career and not and not not as fine not just without the finality of of remembering his life. I don't know how to describe it. You know what I mean? It just feels like, no, this can't possibly be so in a way that it felt like when many of us found out. This is there's just there's no way. Yeah, he I mean you know, the second part of his career and you know, post, you know, post career was, he was so open and vigilant as far as, you know, giving the people more access and actually telling us what he was doing. He was, you know, huge into the, the Mamba sports Academy. You know, he was big in the girls volleyball, WNBA women's basketball. You know, he was, he was huge in the really taking care of his girls and it kind of hit me real hard, man, because, you know, I have three girls myself and, um, I mean, it's just, it just hurts knowing that Vanessa will have to raise the other three, you know, by herself. And, you know, a newborn will only be able to click on the internet and, and find out who her dad was. It's it's heartbreaking. It truly, truly is heartbreaking to think about just, just, the, just the tragedy, not just of losing Kobe in that situation, her, her husband, but, of course, uh, their daughter Gianna as well. I just, I can't even begin to imagine. And it's really... I mean, it's really cool to see like this hashtag that's going around on social media because of L. Duncan on SportsCenter going on about how her and Kobe Bryant's interaction at, at an ESPN up front. And he was talking about, you know, how cool it is to be a girl dad. I'm definitely a girl dad. And to see to see the the overwhelming just embrace of that, Brandon, it's why it's why this hurts. It's it's why it hits me so hard in particular, because what he was the evolution of Kobe over the course of his career and into retirement was so cool. And to see how much good he was already doing and to see, to think about how much good he could have continued to do, um, that really sucks. 
Yeah, I mean, like you said, it, it was almost a rebirth. You know, he had it, the, the the terrible incident in Colorado. Um, you know, he was criticized as being a bad teammate. Um, you know, he had the feud with Shaq. Um, you know, there's countless things that were considered petty. and, and He was you the know, villain. People, yeah, people, you know, criticized his character and, you know, they, they didn't like him and, you know, second half of his career, you know, when he wins those those two final championships and then, you know, his team started declining. Um, I think he really, you know, understood, you know, what it was to really cherish what he had and enjoy what's coming. You know, he had he had those girls that were growing up in his household. You know, he was dedicated to being more of a family man. And, you know, he was just getting started. I mean, you know. I'm 32 years old, you know, 41 years old is, 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 you know, it's far away, but it's not that far away. So it just, uh, just hurts, you know, just to know how much life he had left and what he really wanted to do out here. It's one of those few moments where, where you just, I mean, few, few things shake you to your core that bring that kind of perspective, the kind of finality that we're talking about, where it's, it's literally just one moment. And all of these things that we take for granted on a day-to-day basis, it can go just like that. And that's 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 the thing that uh, losing Kobe has has been so communal, I guess, from across across age demographics. I'm 26, and I remember I remember the second half of Kobe. For you know, obviously, a 20-year career is unbelievable in the NBA. But I remember the second half of his career and seeing just how much he meant to everybody who was a basketball fan between the time uh, of Jordan and the transition from Jordan to Kobe to Kobe uh, to LeBron and, and, and Carmelo and guys like that, Dwayne Wade. Um, just how much, how much, how many different people he reached. Yeah. He, I mean, he, he touched so many people and, you know, like I said, he, from the outside looking in, you know, from a, you know, just a, a regular fan or, or just a person who really didn't know him. He, he was really open with players. You know, he, he was a tough teammate. No, no question about that. He wanted to win and you felt it if you were his teammate, you know, he had high expectations for you, but opposing teams, you know, he would, he would try to dominate you, but you know, after the games, you know, he would, he would have open his arms. He would give you advice. He would, um, he would talk to you, you know, he would ask you about your family. He was more than what, you know, people, you know, knew what he was. But, you know, in these, especially these last couple of years since retirement, you were starting to see who he actually really was as a person. And it was it was on full display. And, you know, like you said, it's just, just tragic that it was cut short. But, you know, all of us guys and, and you know, we'll try to live out his memory as best we can. Without question, and and he's because of because of the reach that he's had on so many athletes who are who have been influenced uh, by him. It really it really was a cool moment, and I know you saw this on social media as well from the replay of of uh, the I think it was from the Ringer, the clip that went viral about Mike Tirico talking about calling Kobe Bryant's last game and how much of a fraternity. The NBA was in that moment when Gordon Hayward, as Kobe's taking his uh, his shot for 59, steps into the lane to try and get him another shot in the event that he missed it as he was tra- on his way to getting 60 points 
in his final game against the Jazz. Like, it's just moments like that that we never would have noticed. But obviously, NBA players did, and professional athletes, uh, you could you could tell the kind of respect that they had for him. Yeah, you know, and it's crazy that comes out now because of the circumstances. But back then, watching that game, every NBA player, well, about 95% of the NBA players knew exactly what was going on. Right. We knew that, you know, you know if you step in early, he misses that shot, he's getting another shot, you know. So that was, that was just pretty cool. But, you know, Gordon, he released a, a tweet earlier today and said, no, I, I didn't do that on purpose. Um, you know, Kobe wouldn't respect me if I did. But, you know, <laughs> we, we we all know what was going on. It, it was pretty evident. But, you know, it, that's how strong it was. And, I mean, the circumstances of that game, the Jazz needed to win to get in the playoffs. It was a lot going on that night. Uh, it's I, It was so cool to watch the replay. I forgot, like, what – like how big a moment that really was and to see, you know, all the shots in the crowd of everybody that what because everybody wanted to be a part of that last game. And you've even, you've got Kanye in the stands high fiving people. This was back when Kanye was normal and and going out in public and behaving like a normal human being. It's it's <laughs> uh it feels like it doesn't feel that long ago, but then to just kind of experience it again in retrospect, it just made it it made it mean that much more at least to me. Yeah, it was an incredible performance. I mean, literally all the NBA players are just, we're rooting Kobe on, you know, give him the ball, foul him, Jazz, you know, give him, give him, give him an open shot. But, they, you know, and the, and the crazy thing about it was that the Jazz, they were playing tough defense on him. He didn't shoot the ball great that night. No. He scored in, he scored in bunches. You know, he, he was cold a little bit, then he get hot. And then he just finished the game incredibly hot, you know, making free throws, making jump shots, getting to the hole. It was just one of those moments where the stars were aligned. It was on him tonight. Um, you know, we knew God knew it was his time to shine. What What's the lasting impact that he'll have on you? Just just as somebody who spent as long as you did in the NBA, as somebody who grew up obviously uh, at the height of basketball here in Tennessee. What What lasting impact does Kobe leave on on you, Brandon? Uh, I mean, it's it's easy to always point out his his basketball accolades and his incredible work ethic. Well, you know him showing up a, to a city at twelve thirty a.m. And, and going straight to the gym and getting up more shots before they had to play another game another night. But his biggest thing is, and it's something that I'm actually I've been doing the last three or four years is the the way he's invested into the youth, particularly youth girls basketball. And I do the same thing. I I kind of want to model myself after that. I mean. He's been doing a lot of big things and trying to help push the WNBA and women's volleyball and women's sports in general. He's befriended a lot of a lot of female athletes to try to put them on the pedestal and use his platform to to show what they really have, you know, and and get the game more respected than it is, especially in America. Um, I think that really that really left a, a mark on me. And and like I said, it him showing show, us showing him showing us what he really is as a dad and and how you was really engaging his girls out. You know, I hope to take that and, and apply it to my young girls. Brandon, man, I really appreciate you hopping on the pod. I hate that this was the first time we're going to do it again. We're going to, we're going to have you back and we're going to talk some shop and, uh, no, we'll and definitely ha- do it again. have we'll a more lighthearted conversation, but I, I do appreciate you stopping by. No question, man. I appreciate you having me. Back here, 615 Sessions Podcast, A to Z Sports, A to Z Sports Nashville.com. Uh, that was uh, 
a hugely emotional interview and it has been a hugely emotional couple of days. It's Tuesday. This is three days after the fact when Kobe Bryant, his daughter Gianna, eight other people, excuse me, seven other people in the helicopter crash that went down. Where were you guys when you got the news? Because I was just screwing around on Twitter like normal and then TMZ dropped a bomb in my lap. Yeah, I was actually coming home from church and was at my uh, church family's home out in Smyrna. And what was very interesting was that the reports, obviously, uh, when there when the when the report was when first broken by TMZ, um, noting that the helicopter crashed, I didn't want to continue because constantly refreshing Twitter, trending. I didn't want to even turn on the TV, and uh, it was such a disbelief, not only for myself, but for everyone. I think I saw seven or eight tweets in a row saying, no, this this can't be, this can't be. And, you know, lo and behold, got on the news, and then Channel 2 was talking about it, and then I switched to uh, Fox News, and they had they had the crash site um, on a live shot. And it was, it was something that I just stared at for about five minutes, and at that point in time, I think the rest of my Sunday was – gloomy uh it was dark and i speechless after that absolutely i was at home and i got a text and text reads kobe just died well okay your first thought is kobe must be somebody's dog or somebody's pet because kobe bryant can't die you know certainly not so then you get on twitter and you see tmz and your first thought is well that can't be real that's not that's not factual and you keep refreshing and you get in a bad habit of doing that and you dig for a lot of false information and, um, yeah, just kind of a gloomy day. Mm-hmm. But, you know, something I'll always remember where I was, what I was doing when Kobe Bryant died. There's not been many moments like that where everything just kind of stops and where we're all collectively paying attention. Like, there's not anything outside of live sports uh, that's legitimately appointment viewing. And yet everything, as I'm watching Djokovic... Uh, draw KB eight twenty four GG love you on the t- on the camera uh, there at the Australia Open. I mean, peep the outpouring across the world in a way that is uncommon. There's not been a lot of moments, at least in my memory, uh, that I can remember feeling that way where the pain was so communal. I think you go back to when Earnhardt died in two thousand. That was kind of a a big shocking tragic loss. But mainly for the American people and the common American person. But Kobe was so cultural and across different cultures, across the world, um, people looked up to him and they knew him for basketball, for film, for his mentality, so many different things. So this is really a much bigger loss than I think we all even thought it was on Sunday. And I can certainly attest to the soccer aspect, the soccer world, so to speak, particularly in the United States, and taking a look at not only Kobe's experience in his childhood with ties to Italy, as many know. Big also, AC Milan fan. Big AC Milan fan, but he grew, he grew to adopt FC Barcelona as well as his as his beloved club. Was on ESPN the magazine in a Barca jersey, um, you know, just at the early end of this past decade. And the U.S. women's national team, uh, someone he supported. He's been at games before. He's supported uh, not only – their success, but also uh, their lives um, and how they deserve better and they've progressed in earning better. And I sure hope that 
the U.S. women's national team continues that. But with Kobe taking a look at the women's sports, not just soccer, but going back to basketball, his daughters, his affection for the WNBA, um, multiple levels, on multiple levels, Kobe Bryant was not only a supporter and a proponent, but he was a soundboard. He was an advocate. He was a coach. He was multiple things um, at multiple levels. I, It hurts so much worse because of what he was going to do. Not even what he had already done, not even who he had already been, because Kobe Bryant champion we all know, like Black Mamba, like Killer Instinct, the height of competitiveness, not just... Not just athlete, but champion, you know. Not just writer, but author. You know, to the extreme, to the nth degree in everything that he did in a way that was fascinating. And to watch each part of his career play out, 10 years in number 8, 10 years in number 24, all of the all of the ebbs and flows of his career and complicated as it might be in remembering of him, there was no, there was no question that he was... Uh, respected by almost everybody that he came into contact with, and certainly athletes. Anytime you talk to any athlete about Kobe Bryant, there is such a such a reverence in their tone of him in a way that you don't normally experience. I mean, in when they when they uh, when they brought home Olympic gold the second time, and he was on the team with LeBron and Carmelo and Dwayne Wade. And LeBron had the better Olympic series. But in the game, in the final, in the fourth quarter, they're looking at Kobe to make the plays. And all of them, it seemed, in that next year in their career as NBA players, learned from it. And you could see how much of a general generational impact he had on them and how they would spread that through further generations that now look up to them in that way. I think it was about being a professional as well. I think Kobe Bryant was someone who revolutionized and I think rewrote what it is to be a professional, not just an athlete, but to have a craft and to hone that craft Mm -hmm. in the best way possible and make your mark on it. I think that's the thing that touches me the most about Kobe was his influence and how folks looked at their profession, looked at their expertise, looked at their, their profession and became obsessed with it and perfecting it to their best of abilities. Yeah. Even the way Kobe handled the media and even the way he dressed and presented himself, he was he was a clean-cut, well-put-together guy um, in a time where it wasn't always popular to be so, especially in, in, in that world. So he, he was a great example for all kinds of kids on, on how to conduct yourself on the court, off the court, how to dress, how to treat media, how to treat people. So... Later, later, he wasn't always media friendly. Like he would mess with people. I heard, I've heard Dave McMiniman and uh, Brian Windhorst telling all kinds of quote Kobe horror stories from when he would just, you know, see fit on that particular night to embarrass you. Yeah, because he's going to test your knowledge. Yes, I mean he's not a guy who doesn't read. Mm-hmm. He's not a guy who who didn't uh, pay attention. He was well aware of not only what was going on with his team. With the NBA, with the game of basketball, he was well aware mm-hmm. with what was going on. And so if you tried to BS your way into a question as a media member, of course he is. And i got to say, talk to him on the 15th of this month. 
in at Bank of California Stadium, which is the home of LAFC, one of the recent expansion teams in MLS. Yeah. And I saw it firsthand. Uh, his polite way of questioning your question. Mm-hmm. Um, and such a silly question as, you know, which team in LA, LA Galaxy or LAFC, do you uh, gravitate towards? Or do you, do you uh, see as something that, you know, compares to what you believe in? And he just kind of snuffed at it. But he did it in a way that was, wasn't impolite, but it was also um, a message in of itself because he wanted you to know that he was there for bigger things. And we, what he was there for was the importance of the development of youth sports, not only just in basketball, but in soccer, and not just in soccer, but in basketball, and being able to have those two intertwine and comparing what it takes to be a professional, what it takes to help the next generation become the best they could be, um, and how he has affected both the grassroots level of basketball and the grassroots level of soccer. And so um, the recency and the, I guess, having it being so, so it, it, it was 10 days, you know, uh, the 15th to right around there, about 11 days actually. Um, that hurt as well because he was true to the end. He was true to every single appearance. He was consistent in his message. Every business move as an investor of Body Armor, which is the reason why he was there as Body Armor was announcing its partnership with Major League Soccer, he was consistent with his message. And he was mature. He was well thought. Um, we can go on and on, Buck, but I'll let you, I'll let you continue. No, I just I'm I'm fascinated by all of it, and I don't want to I don't want to sit here and make the podcast a whole public eulogy. Like we've been doing this, we've been doing this now for three days, and it, again, I there's just so many there's so many different angles to this particular story in a way that I find so interesting, especially the coverage. And we'll move on after we talk about the way that it was covered, but because you're talking about Kyle. When you're when you're first initially finding out the information and TMZ has it, they have it. They have the information that Kobe has died, but they get it incorrect because they are saying leaves behind four daughters and a wife. Mm-hmm. And then you have the ABC Pro Bowl break in when they're talking about well, mm-hmm. all four of his daughters were on the flight uh, or were on the aircraft with him when it went down. And there's about 45 minutes where people are thinking that this is, in fact, the case before somebody is finally able to clarify it. Rick Fox, at some point, died in the middle of all this and then was brought back because he said, no, on Twitter, I'm still here. Stop putting out information unless you have actually spoken to all of the parties involved. And it was such a cluster. And in, in the reality of it, like you had the right information within probably an hour and a half. But how much worse it made it, at least from my perspective, as somebody, and Drake, perhaps you feel the same way, as people who exist in this world, Kyle is somebody who's looking for that information. How much worse or what did it, how, how much did that shape the experience for you? Because that was just as big a part of it when you're thinking, oh my God, his four daughters are gone too. And of course, Gianna um, did, in fact, uh, did in fact lose her life in, in all of that. I, I think... I think Twitter makes it that way, you know, we're, we're used to getting up to the second news. And in this situation, losing Kobe is tragic. Losing Kobe and his four daughters is unspeakable to even think about. So for that 45 minutes where we're assuming that, um, it becomes a horrific thing. I mean, I think we're all emotional at that point in time. So 
the media coverage wasn't great, but that's kind of the world we live in now with Twitter and social media and how reporters go about, you know, getting their beat. But yeah, it, it made it very, very tough with the false reports because you see a tweet that, that all the kids are, are dead with them. And within minutes, Buck, it'll have 50,000, 70,000 retweets. That fast. That, that, that fast. And now we're all thinking the worst. Um, so it's just kind of the, the devil of it all of social media. I would say so. And the fact that, you know, his newest born, uh, you know, not even a year old. Yeah. And to put that report out there, um, just the thought of that replaying in, mm-hmm. in your head as, you know, all, all children. And like I said, and the fact that someone such as a beautiful newborn baby girl um, coming into the family, that that struck a, a chord. And, and it, they, the news in of itself did. Don't get me wrong about that, but um, when you include children, uh, when you include um, the youth into something as serious as this, I think, in my personal opinion, it takes a different level of of effort it should to be sure that that is what is true, uh, because you're talking about uh, someone who is is still uh, becoming what they are are striving to become, and, and such beauty in that regard, because you're not just talking about uh, an icon, you're not talking about uh, an athlete, you're not talking about a celebrity, you're talking about a family. It was it was crazy to watch it all play out and then to see all of the different and wrong reports and how much crazier it was made by the an MSNBC anchor who people thought said a racial slur when in I, all of it, all of it tailspin so quickly in a way that almost made it less about what was actually happening and more about the, the parties that had fouled it up in the course of the reporting. And that was, um, it, it, it made it, it made it feel gross as somebody, uh, who tries to, you know, we try to do our jobs the right way and to have people go out there and put this innate distrust of all things media, um, because it, in the time that it takes to send a tweet, it can all be you know, it can all be destroyed that quickly, and so just another ugly aspect of it. We've talked about far uh, far too much ugliness. We need to talk about um, something something better, something more exciting, and that is the delay of an MLS stadium. <laughs> oh, how wonderful! Thanks for that transition. <laughs> Listen, man, Drake is who is going to be your knowledge hotspot for all things Nashville SC, and you can follow him on Twitter at Live Life Drake. Uh, for all of your Tennessee and co- soccer coverage for Nashville SC. Uh, what the hell? What the hell is going on? Well, I thought this thing was done, and now I'm reading reports. Uh, uh, it's in the tank, and and they're trying to figure out where the funding is going to come from because there's going to be much more funding needed. What exactly is happening? So as of Tuesday, there has been a edit, a change in the expected costs uh, in terms of infrastructure, uh, particularly where the Nashville SC Stadium would stand and where it would be. Um, there is also a 10-acre land uh, sector, which would also host um, affordable housing, um, a shopping market, things of that nature. Uh, but also the stadium itself, they both have infrastructure costs. Um, they both were expected to be allotted around $25 million apiece, so uh, in total $50 million. Now, as reported, um, it is expected that Mayor Cooper um, is believing that the stadium infrastructure costs 
uh, would actually be at least double, so yeah. at least $50 million <laughs> uh, for infrastructure costs um, on the stadium side. Now, there has already been reports that on the other side, when it comes to strictly constructing the stadium of itself, that there would be revenue bonds that would take $225 million out of the $250 million pot um, to not only for the land, but the stadium that in which the land stand, the, the stadium that is on the land, so in total, and that um, majority owner of Nashville SC, Mr. Ingram, would in cash pay the $25 million of the $250 million. But the report has also said that there's an extra 50 to 70 million of that cost. So there is already added cost on other parts of this situation. This is just the idea that they've undervalued by half on those initial estimates. Kyle, you hear that and you think what? Because I'm I'm astonished by it and we'll we'll talk a little bit about what <laughs> what what is so fundamentally wrong with things like this because you can't you can't just reevaluate these things after the fact and say when the city's already approved it, and go back. But when you're telling people, no, 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 it's going to be twice as much as we initially told you, uh, you hear that and you think, what? It makes me, as as a citizen of Nashville, not be very confident in, in the planning in the first place, I suppose. I mean, if you're a couple million dollars off, fine. You know, we, can, we can scratch up some change and get that. But undervaluing by half... Um, makes you question the the planning committee in the first place. So just a little bit more detail on that. Uh, the the actual f- total of $50 million would be coming through a general obligatory or general obligation bond. Okay. So in that, there has been already a withdrawal of around $43 million for the expo space of that land. Not not the stadium land, yeah. but the expo space of the of the Nashville Fairgrounds. There has been money used for that, uh, and is likely to have been also on the stadium infrastructure side as well. So the two sides is the expo side, which is twenty five million, so half of the fifty million, and then the stadium infrastructure, which is the other twenty five million of the fifty million. So the doubling is coming from the stadium side. Uh, so just to make sure that's no, clarified. and that's an important clarification. It's just it's it. I don't know how something like this can happen. Like I don't know. I don't know what the general interest level is, or how this affects the Nashville SC fan, the people who are wanting soccer here in Nashville, the people who are interested in the process of soccer coming here to Nashville. Kyle, you are a better gauge of that than I am. I'm just kind of standing back here from afar. Do you? We, we have a group. All right, Kyle is a transplant, transplant like me. We know each other because I know a bunch of long-suffering Browns fans here in Nashville, and they represent my dumb sports drinking friends. Like, these are the people who I hang around. That is what you mean to me, Kyle Chris, and I'm going to say much nastier things about you. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Momentarily, side. but like, you're, it's okay. It's fine. He kicked the camera. It's a, it's a total catastrophe. They're, I've literally shoved Drake and Kyle into my third bedroom to cut a podcast. They have no idea what they were getting into. <laughs> Kyle, do you, do you care about any of this? I guess. As somebody who's invested, I would say, in Nashville as a sports scene. 
Here's my interesting take on this. The area where they're building the soccer stadium has interfered with Nashville Fairgrounds Speedway, which me being oh, a very, very big so NASCAR we, fan has put here we that, go. has put a big hang up in the potential and likelihood that NASCAR could come back to that very famous racetrack someday. So as somebody that is very into NASCAR and very against soccer, um, I could not care any less about the hangups they have or their future success. See, so, this is well, why I'm happy that now, we got you two together. Now, what do, you say, what do you say about Mayor Cooper saying that both need to work in order for the fairgrounds to be a success? Both the Speedway and Nashville SC – need to work for this to be a success. I would love that for Nashville. I mean, in, in a perfect world, the the, the MLS and, and the soccer stadium is a go, and it's great. But you can't have that if you don't support the yeah, Nashville SC stadium. I guess that's just me, that's just me being bitter. But um, No, it's clearly you being bitter. Yeah. It is, but <laughs> so are you, are you, do you believe that it is an opposition? Um, no, no. They, they, they've made it clear that it's not. Correct. But in, in my mind, there's not a lot of land over there, and I think the racetrack would need more parking and a stadium and the expo center and all that nonsense has interfered with what um, could be a, a great NASCAR facility. But like I said, Drake, I don't know a lot about it. Um, that's just my very small-minded NASCAR take on no, it. No, <laughs> it's not small-minded because, no, you speak for a good deal of the population. And it's I think there are crucial misunderstandings in what people think is going to happen with that land. Because mm-hmm. we've talked uh, to, uh, to Jeff Striegel at NASCAR about how important it would be to bring NASCAR here to Nashville and how people locally, certainly in the Mid-South, would gravitate towards that. And obviously this has been a discussion point for some time since the idea that John Ingram was going to bring a soccer team here to Nashville and that the MLS supported it and, well, obviously approved it, and that the, that the, that the Nashville sports consumer would support it as well because more of Nashville's population is trending away from what is NASCAR's uh, NASCAR's tried and true demographic. Now, obviously, people have talked about the idea that both can exist, but Drake, from from your reporting and from what you understand on the situation, is that in fact the case? I think it is, and I I would say that I've read that it is, and what I've heard, it is also the case. Um, but to go back to this, this tandem between NASCAR and MLS on the fairgrounds, the bid and the proposal for the Nashville SC Stadium has been a plan. It's been put in place. It's been well documented. That's why I thought. That's why I couldn't believe that I was reading about delays. Which is that, <laughs> which is the irony in that. But when you take a look at the the soccer part, yeah, and then you take a look at the NASCAR part, which proposal is full and which proposal isn't? No. Do you see? Do it's you see what I'm saying? Yeah, we, like, it doesn't have to be one or the other. It doesn't have to be that they're against each other. One's going to lose out on it. I think to have, but I think if Nashville SC to build their stadium on the fairgrounds land and for NASCAR not to be there, I think that would be a loss. And I would, I would hope that NASCAR fans would see that and that MLS fans would see that yeah. in Nashville. Now, what I would also hope is that 
as Nashua SC figures out, along with the mayor's office and Mayor Cooper, how this stadium is going to come into fruition, that NASCAR fans would be celebratory and, and be happy about that because there would it's not like that space is going to interfere with what's going on with but a that's potential where the disconnect is though i think the nascar fans think that because that stadium is there now there's no room for our parking lots and rv I think lots it's been, and things you know, of that sort for, when it comes to imagery when it comes to illustration it has never been severing ties with one in favor of the other it's it's certainly been a plan that one side it's it's a lot further than the other but when you take a look at what Nash, NASCAR can offer, um, Nashville can't offer that. And I don't think Nashville can offer what NASCAR can. And so I think that's what, when it comes to sports fandom in Nashville, I think to have both is a success. And I agree with Cooper on the fact that you need both to be a success for anything on the fairgrounds to be a success going forward. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's the evolution of what the sports scene here is in Nashville. Kyle, you've been here for what now, five years? Four years. Four years. Four years you've seen the way that the ch- the trends have changed from hockey to football to ba- back and forth. Obviously, the Titans have not mattered for some time. Drake, you have been here for four, four months. months. We're rounding up, by the way. We are rounding up at this point, but you have had enough time to kind of study what the atmosphere is here is in Nashville because not only have you gone and covered Titans practice and Titans games, you've been to the Preds, you've seen that environment, you've covered that atmosphere. I don't know what else the Tennessee – and it's cool, I think, that the Tennessean has you go to each – of the of these events and try and get a feel for you know where it is that you're going to be working and the and the landscape around it. Kyle, in the four years that you've been here though, because I've been here, it'll be five in August, which makes me feel entirely too old. But how have you how have you seen or what has been the evolution in your opinion of what Nashville is as a sports city? Nashville is a hockey town in in terms of sports. Um, the Preds are the one thing that has been pretty consistent in grabbing. Are you our- biased because you have hockey sticks <laughs> and guitar picks on your hat, which you can b- find those patches, by the way, at hometeamhat.com. Hometeamhat.com. That's right. But no, I, I am a Preds fan, but I just think the the common person in Nashville that is not maybe a sports fan um, resonates with the Predators more. Um I think a lot of time because people move here from Indianapolis or Cleveland or Cincinnati and they didn't grow up with a hockey team. So we move here, like myself from Cleveland, and I've adopted the Predators as my NHL team, whereas we were Browns fans or Colts fans or Bengals fans or whatever else. So the Titans are a little bit harder to adopt. But also I I think the venue too. The Preds play at a great venue on Broadway. Um, and the Titans Stadium, I guess I'll be honest, is is a dump in my opinion. I think it's the worst facility in the NFL. Um, well, you haven't uh, lived in San Diego before. Okay, uh, okay, that, that that could be true. I haven't <laughs> been to the old Qual- Qualcomm, See, we need but... to have we need to have you both back on when we have more time together because Drake has a, f- a fascinating uh, life experience in terms of career stops, and Kyle has much more useless sports information to share with <laughs> but, us. But, but haven't we even had Kirk Herbstreets uh, on Twitter blast uh, the Titan Stadium for being the worst in the league? It's without question, I, and I have, not been to, I have not been to the soccer stadium that uh, the Los Angeles Chargers sands Phillip Rivers 
at this point uh, will are, are continuing to play in until they begin their lease uh, in the joint uh, facility with the Rams. But I do know that Nissan Stadium, there is no circumstance in which you would get me to go to a game there that I was not paid to be at. Yeah, Correct, I mean, and, and, and we don't go for that reason. I mean, there's cheap tickets, but we went to a Monday night game once, and we didn't have a good time because of the facility, I felt like. It, it, um, it's, it's, it's out of date. And, and this city deserves, uh, I think you and I talked about it before, Buck, a, a dome to host Final Fours and Super Bowls and all that because we now have the airport, the hotels, the infrastructure to really host um, some worldly events. I don't know. I don't, I just, I don't see Nissan Stadium as, as that much of a negative. I'm not going to sit here and say that it's what the Vikings have or it's what the Cowboys have. I'm not going to exaggerate, but I'm also uh, not going to sit here and – and say that it's the worst stadium. I think, as you mentioned, Buck, you know, I've I've made my stops. Um, and San Diego was was one before the Chargers went up to Carson, California, uh, Dig- Dignity Health Sports Park, <laughs> which is where the Chargers play their home games now before uh, the new stadium is open. Nissan Stadium, I don't think, is the factor. I think the biggest factor with what the Titans are is identity with who they have on the team. Do I think that they have some upside there? Yes, I do. Because I think that they're secondary in terms of who they are, how they play, and their attitude. I think that that's a positive. I think Derrick Henry is a positive. Now, is Ryan Tannehill one of the more charismatic? God, no. God, okay. no. Oh. Okay. You led to that. but when I, so, <laughs> And so there's certainly positive. He's a, he's a wonderful person to deal with. He's nothing but kind He's a great media. guy. And also, I can't stand to talk to him anymore. And it's only been like 10 weeks. He's a nice guy. <laughs> Ryan Tannehill's a nice guy. Lovely but, human. So, so Terrible there, interview. There, there certainly are pros and cons when it comes <laughs> to the Titans. Uh, I think they're more of a middle of a pack type of ordeal. Um, but I will say, though, if you're talking about experience – the experience of going to a game, yes. The Nashville Predators are the experience of sports. Even when in they stink. City. They're the hot ticket. Yeah. Even they, when they stink. They closed year. down Broadway afterwards and, and great you can food. Walk to Media food? Great. Titans love their nachos. Say. Love their nachos. Although I do love when uh the Titans pull out their their um they're nachos as well. I think they're pretty solid too. Drake, a fan of nachos. But I don't have much experience unlike you with the Titans when it comes to the media experience. I'm still pretty much an infant in that regard. Um, but the Predators, that hit me off rip. Like that was the, mm-hmm. one of the first things was feeling the atmosphere while I'm reporting, um, eating before the game, I'm going down and talking to players. The locker room is solid. I mean, just every – I mean, I also say though, like walking to Bridgestone is also an experience as well. Yeah, because uh, it's on Broadway. It's on Broadway. This it you know I'm still getting used to like crossing the street diagonally. Uh, that's still the. It rookie. can be disorienting, especially if you're drunk, which I have done many, many times. <laughs> especially if you're, if you're not if you're not on the Tuesday game and you're on the Thursday, or if they're playing on the weekend. Uh, you know, it's certainly an experience in and of itself. But do you gravitate towards both of you? Do you gravitate towards any particular athlete here in Nashville? Because. Derrick Henry is who people gravitate towards, but that's not really about Derrick Henry as much as it is uh, the fact that SEC Heisman winner Alabama in the Mid South. I don't, th- and Eddie George being the historical precedent for mm-hmm. greatness 
in Nashville. I don't think it's necessarily about him. Is there any – you're talking about the secondary. Kyle, do you gravitate towards Kevin Byard or Malcolm Butler or Kenny Vaccaro, who's a fascinating individual? I just don't know if the common football fan, if the average football fan, if Kenny Vaccaro is enough to move the needle in that way. No. Kenny Vaccaro's a big personality, but – the only personality we've had in town over the last five years that people have gravitated towards is, is P.K. Yeah. Subban for sure. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I really think it's just more or less, Buck, you know, people that you meet around town, they're not from Nashville. So they, they come from Cleveland or wherever else, and they have their football team. He this loves is, Cleveland. Oh, he's well, the worst. Th- there's the a worst. lot of he folks here from Cleveland. Cleveland. There's no. a lot of folks here no, from Cleveland. It's, it's and you are Cincinnati. the only person that I know that's from Cleveland. Buck? No, there's actually a horde there's of them. There's way they're, too many of they're us. They're insufferable doghouse <laughs> where, where I know these people from. Do they all come together and live in the we same river or packs. what? Essentially, it's in East Nashville. It's a terrible place. That's why I hardly ever cross the river. <laughs> Uh, but no, it, all of us here, we sit here on the 615 Sessions podcast, a Nashville show for people in Nashville to hear from people who they care about that have ties to Nashville, and none of us in this room are from Nashville outside of the fact that we live and work here now. This is truly a representative of the city that we live in. It makes it, our job much harder, doesn't it, Buck? I, no, I think it makes I think we I think we're better at our jobs for it because we don't have the attachments to the local Perhaps. teams. Okay. At least at that. least that's been my experience. I'll give you that. Um, which has worked very very much against me uh, in my in my first couple years here because of how much I hated watching the Titans play. They made my Sundays a suffering. Uh, and continued to do so through 6 weeks of football this year until the savior dull though he may be uh, and Ryan Tannehill comes and <laughs> saves my football viewing experience. But uh, this is this is something that I'm, I'm fascinated by. I'm always interested to get outside perspectives about, and I've kept both of you for far too long because we are nearing the hour mark uh, here on the podcast. Really? And I cannot, I cannot simply do that uh, to you two here on short notice after you've given me so much of your time. Drake Hills covers... Nashville SC for the Tennessean at Live Life Drake on Twitter is where you follow my man. You can read all of his excellent coverage at Tennessean.com. Drake, I appreciate you, my brother. I appreciate it, and I look forward to seeing what Nashville SC does in its first season in MLS. CEO Ian Air has said and has told me that this is very much an experience when you take a look at what home games are going to be like at Nissan Stadium this upcoming season. Very much influenced by what Sean Henry and the Nashville Predators and what they do at Bridgestone Arena. That's what he said. He said it's not going to be the Predators, but very much like it. They'd be dumb not to take their cues from the most successful team in town. Kyle Christ at Kyle underscore Christ on Twitter. HometeamHats.com is where you can check out the Hockey Sticks guitar picks. Nashville, Tennessee. Home Team Hat. Home Team Hat. What did I say? Hats. That's can't have that, Buck. Oh my God! That one letter makes a big difference. At Kyle underscore Christ is where you can follow him on Twitter. Petulant Cleveland sports fan though he may be, kind enough to give us some of his time here on the six one five sessions. Do I get a sign off pitch too? Do you want to take it from here? End my show. Go ahead. You no, I I just want to give uh, the people some two cents about NASCAR and its potential here in Nashville. <laughs> oh, this is yeah. like this is like what what's, if, what's it called on around the horn when everybody gets the yeah uh, like the, like the, if you win you get like the final spiel. Well, you haven't won. You've inherently lost, and we are all losers because you are here. But have your two minutes. <laughs> I, I'm just saying if you're indifferent about NASCAR 
at the Fairgrounds Speedway in Nashville, think of all the booze and fun you're going to have on that race weekend when NASCAR comes to town. You will be there. You will have a blast. See, this is you can get drunk at both things. Both things can co- coexist. Literally, that is what soccer fandom and hooliganism was was built on. I it, mean, pubs are very much a thing in soccer supporters. They're, I mean, go down to Franklin right now. Go to Franklin Abbey. You're going to find Chelsea, uh, shoot, Everton, Manchester United. All the supporters groups are there drinking beer 7, 8 in the morning. So That's why I like soccer. They, they are like cousins, okay? When you take a look at... When you take a look at what it's like experiencing watching a race or watching a soccer match. Yeah, I, I guess that is true. Supporters it, it do the same thing, way, Kyle. They do the same right. thing. They're, they're drinking and they're, and they're out of their minds. So I guess, <laughs> yes. I guess that is similar. Boys, now that we have made this a podcast threesome in the way that we have been able to combine many of my friends here in Nashville for various content and conversations, we will take a trip to a soccer game and a NASCAR race, respectively, together. <laughs> Meanwhile... Be sure to thank the people who make uh, it a priority to stop by this show. Brandon Wright, NBA uh, player, Drake Hills of the Tennessee, and Kyle Christ at Kyle underscore Christ. Home team hats. That's right. Dot com is where you go. While you are in the business of giving our friends uh, the thanks that they deserve, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe wherever it is that you get the 615 Sessions podcast. Five stars on those ratings. Four stars simply makes you a hater. If you want a question answered in the iTunes review mailbag, you simply leave it with a five-star review, and I will be sure to get to the get to them at the end of each show. We will be back on Thursday for our Super Bowl preview. Laura Oakman of the NFL on Fox and Evan Silva, fantasy football analyst who has devalued Derrick Henry in a way that many of you are angry about. They will be our guests as long as Emily Proud, uh, as well as Emily Proud of WKRN News 2, into guest co-hosts. So we will talk to you on Thursday here on the 615 Sessions podcast, brought to you as always by A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports Nashville.com. <laughs>